What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by, and without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the GPP, the Gifted Performance Podcast, where we give you all of the information needed to improve your own general physical preparedness. I am sitting across from the man who taught me via YouTube how to weightlift. And Greg, I'm sorry for being so bad at weightlifting. I know it's a reflection. I know it's a poor reflection on you, but nonetheless, I give it my best effort. How are you today, Greg? I'm doing well. Don't worry about it. Anything that happens on the other side of YouTube for me is your fault. So I don't I don't feel bad at all. That's an amazing way to look at it. Greg, have you ever thought about kind of looking into YouTube's data and tracking views and invoicing people for all the people that you've coached? Uh, that would be amazing if I could figure out how to do that. Um, I would rather invoice the people who complain. Ah, the the well, people who enjoy it. I don't want to charge them one penny. If I figure out how to do that, are you okay with me keeping 90% and sending you 10% of that money? Uh, we'll negotiate the percentage at some point, but uh, I, I will give you a cut if you can figure out the technology. You drive a hard We do complain about Ryan a lot. There's yeah, a there's some complaining about not sticking to percentages, but honestly, percentages are like stop signs. They're more suggestions than requirements. Yeah, I would mostly agree with that. Perfect. <laughs> Annie, we've also got Miss Gun Show here. Annie, how are you? I'm doing really, really well. It's a wild time in the DMV, but we are here. We are safe. We're fine. We got a hurricane coming for us down here. Tropical storm, maybe? Yeah, Greg, you're flying into the eye of yeah. the storm, just so you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm used to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So for anyone who lives under a rock on the moon, because that's the only way you don't know who Greg is, Greg is obviously the founder of, co-founder of uh, Catalyst Athletics. Um, Greg, just give the people a little bit of an intro into yourself, your personal competitive history, athletic history. Tell us about the bike riding, because I know <laughs> that you were a BMX rider, right? Uh, trials actually. I mean, I, I rode BMX, but not, not as a competitor. I competed in, in observed trials. God, of like one and a half lifetimes ago. Um, so I, I mean, athletic history, name a sport. I probably played it at some point. Um, and then I can probably list a handful that I did that you haven't heard of, including bike trials. But, uh, it, yeah, I mean, that, that's essentially just like going through obstacle courses on a bike. You don't really do a whole lot of pedaling. Uh, it's actually one of the goofiest things you can do on a bicycle. But, you know, leave it to me to find some stupid, obscure sport like that. Um, 
Next one was weightlifting, uh, almost as obscure, slightly less stupid. At least it's in the Olympics, right? At least Uh, for now. For now, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, got into weightlifting uh, as a as a young teenager. Kind of had to figure it out myself, which is why I didn't really go anywhere with it. Um, You know, this was pre Google times, if anyone remembers those. Uh, So you you know you couldn't get online and look up weightlifting coach near me. Um, Although years later, of course, I found out that one of the most decorated weightlifting coaches in the country lived about forty five minutes north of me. So had I been able to find him, uh, that probably would have changed the course of my life a little bit, but it worked out in the long run. Uh, so I, I mean, I, I was training people from age 18 on, um, in various capacities, uh, co-owned the fourth CrossFit affiliate gym, uh, with Rob Wolf and his wife, Nikki, uh, going back to God, I don't even remember 2003, maybe. Um, so, you know, Rob helped start the original CrossFit affiliate up in Seattle, moved down to Northern California, Chico, where I met him. And then I partnered up with him and, and Nikki and had that gym for a few years. And then, uh, I started catalyst athletics in 2006, uh, when I was down in Southern California, um, being coached by Mike Bergner, uh, which is where I really started my competitive weightlifting a little late, uh, a little long in the tooth at that point, but, uh, which is kind of why it was a more natural transition for me into coaching, uh, since my, my potential as a competitive weightlifter was somewhat limited by that, you know, late entry, you know, taking it seriously. So even though I had technically been doing the lifts for years prior to that, I, I wasn't exposed to weightlifting as a sport uh, in the sense that I didn't have access to coaching. I didn't have access to a training facility where I could do it properly. And, um, so I kind of had to, to get in on that a little bit late, um, which was good. I think, uh, from a coaching perspective, because I was an adult and paying more attention to what was going on. And I think I picked up a lot more and essentially was able to have an apprenticeship with Mike Bergner, um, that made that transition a lot easier. You say you've talked a lot in the past about your relationship with Mike Bergner. What was kind of the driving force or what was the final decision that drove you down the weightlifting path instead of the CrossFit path? Uh, well, I mean, to be honest, I wasn't ever really considering the CrossFit path. Um, it was, I mean, I found it in a really roundabout way. Essentially my neighbor in Chico was a sheriff's deputy who trained Brazilian jiu-jitsu with the guy, John Frankel, who shared space with Rob Wolf, who had just tried to start this CrossFit gym. So the CrossFit gym uh, was is a generous description. It was like the back fifth of this, you know, 2000 square foot, uh, you know, light Room industrial. Closet. Yeah. And so it was some rubber mats some pull up bars, a rope and, you know, a couple of bars that actually spun and some bumper plates, which was really all we needed at that point. Um, but he basically said, Hey, you know, this guy I do jits with is looking for someone to basically trade training for, uh, building a website. And I was doing that on the side among 400 other things. Uh, so I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really that interested, but I'll go talk to him anyway. And Rob happened to be there that day and he talked me into coming training with them. And I was like, wow, this is super goofy. Um, and then, you know, after a few days, I was like, okay, I, I get it now. Uh, you know, weightlifting, sprinting, gymnastics, this is actually a really fucking good idea. Um, 
and of course this was 2003 so it was considerably different than it is now um even in terms of programming not i don't mean that just in the 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 popularity or the accessibility it was really a different approach uh you know in terms of programming and training and and kind of the way people thought of it so the the weightlifting thing was kind of the natural like hey now i finally have you know, I had met Mike Bergner. So, like, hey, I finally have access now to somebody who can help me down this path of weightlifting that I very likely would have pursued at a younger age, you know, had I had access to it. So it was kind of a natural decision. Mike definitely had some he was they brought him on as a guest commentator. I don't know if you saw that for the CrossFit, uh, the trials that they had. Actually, it might have been the Rogue Invitational. And he had some really funny input on that. Um, oh, yeah. About a couple a couple of lifts and, and how they looked or how he wasn't so happy with uh, with how they looked. But just 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 staying on the topic of weightlifting, you said you would comment on this. I'm selfishly asking this question very briefly. The situation with the IWF, because we emailed a month ago and the situation was very different than it currently is today. So I really just wanted to get your take on. Are you are you in the camp of doom and gloom? This may be the 2021, maybe the last time we see weightlifting in the Olympics. Or are you more on the positive like hey we'll get this figured out train um i think i'm kind of riding the fence honestly i i think i'm doom and gloom in the sense that i'm very aware of the potential for it to be removed from the olympics like it is a really serious possibility and i don't think enough of the right people agree with that right i think that the the people kind of pushing the IWF this direction really feel like they can operate with impunity. They think they can do whatever they've been doing for the past several decades, and it's just going to kind of work itself out. And I don't think that's the case anymore. And I think the IOC has made that clear on multiple occasions. So I do think they're, they're really tempting fate with all the shenanigans that said, I'm optimistic, um, you know, based on a number of things, but, you know, for example, when they, booted Ursula and Phil um, and put the guy from Thailand in as interim CEOs. Like you guys are replacing. Yeah. (laughs) Putting in a guy from a country that is currently banned for uh, drug positives. This seems like a really poor choice. Um, You know, short sighted would be the generous way to put it. And uh, but there was so much pushback on that that I guess they pulled him again. So I I do think there is the potential for enough outside pressure that they won't be able to just go forward with whatever just ridiculous plans they had, uh, you know, to just ignore everything the IOC has said and done and just expect the best. Um, so I, I do think there is potential for it to get blown up. Uh, but there's also at least equal potential for it to work out because there are enough people who are uh, motivated to ensure that it does. So for all the weightlifting fans out there, there's there's hope. There's hope that it can get turned around. I did the same thing when they brought in the guy from Thailand. It's like the guy with from the country with the self-imposed drug ban the guy that said hey listen doping is so bad in our country uh we can't do anything about it so we're just gonna not participate yeah so the guy who can't solve doping in his own country admittedly is gonna solve the problem for the world sport for the (laughs) yeah good call guys
crazy. Unbelievable. All right. But we came here today to talk mm-hmm. about the tactical games and specifically programming for tactical games style training. So I think that it's going to be best for the conversation as a whole if we start by defining what the tactical games are. Things like what is the competition format? What are the specific? events how are these events scored how are placements determined what are the ranks local national world championship kind of level and then we kind of take it from there so greg i'll kind of let you start and then annie if you want to you'll you can fill in the gaps sure if there is any i'll leave gaps i'm sure uh so i guess the short description is uh you know you can kind of think of it like a, a weird mix of obstacle course racing strongman i hesitate to say crossfit for a number of reasons because you're not really doing exercises per se but it's similar in in the the sense of the format um you know multiple events over the course of two days um that are you know testing a, a real broad spectrum of athletic capabilities um and then you mix in you know pistol and rifle shooting in there so you had, you know, the, the typical games is two days, six events, sometimes seven. They'll throw in uh, a, a nice surprise one that always ends up being some kind of long run or ruck. Shockingly enough, it's never a snatch or clean and jerk somehow. Damn um, yeah, <laughs> no, I had some kind of conspiracy, I feel like. I take it personally. Um, and so, you know, every event has... Uh, it, a a raw time score, right? So you're trying to get through these things as fast as possible. Um, And then you have a shooting score, which can vary precisely, but essentially you have, you know, X number of pistol and rifle shots uh, to various target arrays sequences that you have to remember and, you know, execute properly. And so you are going to have typically 10 second penalties for every miss. There may be times where you have particularly difficult shots that you may get a 30 second bonus uh, for, for making, Uh, you know, there've been times when you'll have say uh, a magazine of 10 rounds for your pistol and you'll have, uh, you know, that many rounds to try to hit a certain target. And once you've hit it, however many rounds are left or each 10 second bonuses. So there are a number of different ways that they can score the shooting side of things. Um, but in any case, the, the final ranking is done by uh, basically adding the converted time score of the shooting to the raw time of the event, right? So if the event took you five minutes, but you had, you know, six misses at 10 seconds each, then you're going to have a six minute total raw time. And then those are ranked uh, as a percentage of first place. So whoever the first place guy is, that's a hundred percent. And then that second place person, that score is a percentage of first place that gives you your actual ranking per event. Okay, cool. Annie, anything you wanted to add there? Uh, no, it's, that's pretty much spot on how it's done. Um, so I, I think the only thing maybe I'd add is there are rifle events or pistol events. So they've got those. And then I saw recently they added long range. Like maybe, did you see that, Greg? Um, I saw something that they were talking about having like a sniper specific competition, which yeah, I was that's... entering because I'm like Mr. Magoo. I can't see. <laughs> uh, unfortunately... 
Mr. Gun Show is going to do it. He that's he loves that sort of stuff. But that's another gun. Yep. Added to the whole. And they're not cheap ones either. That's not a BB gun you go pick up at uh, Dick's. No, it's sure not. I'm glad we were able to bring this up. And uh, if he gets home during this recording, we can. uh, I would like us to rebroach that spot. Yeah. Good luck. (laughs) It's a lot of it's a lot of different type of guns, but there are specific rifle. There are specific um, pistol events. Um, there are obstacles around that for the person that maybe hasn't seen any event like this before. Um, I, I compare it quite a bit to obstacle course racing. Plus some, some which I've never done one of those, so I don't really know. <laughs> they seem similar, similar, but you're shooting from high obstacles now. Yes, sure. Is it is it somewhat similar to kind of like a CrossFit style competition where you have long time domain and short time domain events? And what might those look like? Like lay out what an actual event might be. So the just about the shortest stage that I can remember was, you know, right around five minutes or so, um, which is going to tend to be something a little, you know, on the heavier side. So it may be that you have a, like a 50 meter course and you've got to get a big sandbag, you know, from one end to the other, drop it, go through a shooting array, bring it back, bring some farmer's handles down, shooting array, you know, bring a sled, that sort of thing where it's a pretty straightforward linear deal. Um, and if you are strong enough and you can shoot quickly, then you can bang that thing out really fast. Uh, and then they'll go all the way the other direction and uh, to date, which is going to change on Friday. But to date, the longest event that I'm aware of, at least that I've done, was seven miles where they took the elite guys, stuck us in the back of a pickup truck and drove one mile Um which turned out to be two, then made us run back in full kit, pick up the 65 pound rucks and then do the five mile ruck. Um, it wasn't that most pleasant experience I've had, but. So pretty, pretty stinking long duration. It started at 7 PM at the end of the first day too. So, uh, I would have much rather been home, you know, eating pizza and resting up for the next day, icing my, uh, my calves. But the, the national champs first day, the one event we know is going to happen is a 12 mile, 45 pound ruck. The good part about it is that it won't be in kit. So I'm all for that because that makes a huge Mm -hmm. difference. I'd take a 45 pound pack with no kit over any of the other stuff we've done before. No problem. So the, um, the guy that created the tactical games, that was on the front end of that. I uh, was an old special forces veteran and there's a 12 mile ruck about 45 to 50 pounds in the gates week of the special forces, uh, Q course, which yeah. I think I'm sure is probably the inspiration behind that. Yeah. Okay. My understanding is that's a, that's a pretty standard, uh, mm-hmm. deal in multiple branches that, you know, 12 miles, 45 to 50 pounds in under three hours. It's kind of like a, a basic standard you've got to meet benchmark. Yeah. yeah. So how are these events actually scored? Is it similar kind of to the CrossFit game style where the winner gets, you know, 100 points, second place gets 90? Are they collating all your scores at the end of the weekend? The person with the lowest score win or the lowest time wins? How, how do they go about doing that? Yeah. So each each event, first place is 100. And then based on the the combined times of all the other places, that's going to be a percentage of that first place. And then that's going to all add up at the end of the weekend. 
So, and that's, so the original, the first year I did these, there was a huge problem is they were just using raw times, which meant that whoever was the fastest on a long event essentially would win the whole thing. Like there was no way, uh, if you couldn't hang with those, you know, fast, you know, five mile run time that completely outweighed, you know, yeah. even five other events that were five to 10 minutes long. Uh, and so they, they thankfully fixed that. Um, cause I'm not getting that much better at running, but, uh, so it's, it's definitely a, a, a better representation now, you know, the, the ranking and the scoring, uh, of the, the broad abilities versus being weighted towards one or the other. Although it's still weighted towards shooting a bit more than it should be for my particular skill set. <laughs> and mine as well, sir. <laughs> yeah. That was actually the next question that I was going to ask. What is the kind of, what is that skill that allows you to dominate everyone else? Like, what's the one thing that everyone's like, oh, that guy's really good at, you know, so-and-so he's obviously going to win. Well, you, you really do have to be good at everything. Okay. Um, I mean, so Jared Halbert, the guy who's won, I don't know, like eight or nine of them or something ridiculous like that. Uh, really phenomenal shooter, you know, USPSA, two gun, three gun competitor. So he's he's very uh, skilled with the shooting part of it in, in, you know, a wide array of situations and distances and combinations. But then he's also really athletic, so he can get the running stuff done, although he says he's not good at it, which is nonsense. He's still better than me. Um, but he's also pretty strong and he, you know, he can pick up the big, heavy 200 pound sandbags. He can get the 145 pound axle bar overhead for a carry. So he, he really can hit both ranges. Um, but, you know, ultimately, unfortunately for me, it is a shooting competition. So you can be the best athlete out there, even in that whole broad spectrum. But if your shooting is not up to par, it's not going to matter. So, you know, my strategy is go as fast as possible, get that low raw score so I can give myself a buffer for my terrible shooting. And it works sometimes. But, you know, ultimately, if the, if there's an event that's only five minutes long that has 60 shots, like if you're not, you know, if your accuracy isn't really high, then there's you can't outrun a bad shooting score because those those 10 second penalties add up really fast. And you said that's pretty much the standard for the missed shot is that 10 second penalty. But some, you know, it might be 30, some might be less yeah. than 10. That's pretty standard is 10 seconds. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Now I've got two tactical games competitors here, two beasts, but you guys come from very different domains. Annie comes from a powerlifting physique sport background. Greg comes from more of the Olympic weightlifting style. So Greg, the first question I wanted to toss to you was what do you think were like the hardest physical and mental parts of that transition from Olympic weightlifting over to tactical game style training? Oh, it was running. Uh, there's no question. Uh, I mean, I, I, people don't, I, I think they think I'm exaggerating when I, when I say this, but I'm really not. It's 100% accurate. I spent 15 years becoming as good at not running as possible. You know what I mean? Like my whole sport is you pick it up one time and then you go sit down for three to four minutes. Right. Um, there's no running. There's no extended stuff. We don't do cardio at all. Uh, you know, maybe we sit on an exercise bike for three minutes if our knees are particularly achy one day to warm up. But that's it. So the the very first one I did, I think, was February of 19. Um, 
there was like a two and a half mile trail run. And I'm not kidding, man. Halfway through, I couldn't even pick up my toes. Like my anterior tibs were so annihilated. So it wasn't, I wasn't even really out of breath. It was like my, the, my legs were so deconditioned for that kind of repetitive use that I was borderline crippled halfway through that thing. Um, and so still to this day, you know, even with my training being geared primarily towards that, that's still by far the hardest thing for me. I can pick up a sandbag and walk around with it. That's okay. Although I prefer a barbell, uh, it's way easier to hold on to, and you can actually keep it close to your body. Uh, but yeah, the, the running is just awful. And I, and if you don't believe you're sitting back and you're like, Oh, I don't know. I don't really trust Greg. If you don't believe that Olympic weightlifters are deconditioned, go to the barbell section of your local CrossFit box and have one of the weightlifters do a double on clean and jerk, a clean yeah. and a jerk, and then a clean and a jerk and listen to their breathing rate. Yeah. They and will I mean, be that... borderline dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty miserable. And I don't, I don't think that's a whole lot different for powerlifting. Although I do get the sense that in powerlifting, there's a little more willingness to throw in some cardio, um, in GPP, uh, apparently not over here. <laughs> um, but in, in weightlifting, it's just, you just don't do it. And I, you know, I pay, I've been paying the price for that for two years, but you know, while I was a weightlifter, it was 100% the right call. And what's pretty sneaky about the running, it sounds like is that it's not flat ground running, which you can adapt to pretty quickly. It's trail running up, down, around obstacles, which is very, very sneaky. And I think if we, if you watch the CrossFit games and you watch the 2020 ranch run that they did, watch yeah. how much that just killed them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the the terrain I I would much prefer doing trail runs to running around a track for example just because it's more it's more interesting, right? Yeah. Uh, running is already the most boring thing you can possibly make me do besides maybe like rowing. Um, at least you get to sit down on that. Um, yes. but the, the issue for me, and I think the reason it's so much more difficult is if you're running in full kit, you know, you've got, you know, minimum 15 pound plate carrier plus belt you know, possibly with loaded magazines, pistol, and then a rifle, which is a good another seven pounds. So you're running around with 20, 25 pounds of crap on you. And it's not just the weight, but it's also bouncing around. So it's, it's not, it's just uncomfortable the whole time. Um, it's harder to kind of get into a rhythm. It's harder to kind of forget that what you're doing is so miserable. Like they're just have a constant reminder, um, you know, throw a ruck on top of that and you just kind of have, 45 minutes to three hours to, you know, reconsider your choices in life. <laughs> and it sounds like you do a lot of that. Andy, how about you? What was the hardest thing about your transition over given your background? Oh, uh, I mean, it was probably running. I had more than uh, most, most former powerlifters or strongman competitors. Um, strongman training, God bless. I never thought that was gonna come up and be useful for yeah. me in life. I'm back. I'm back, friends. Um, so there was there was a bit of a learning curve though with running, and for me, uh, running with a kit, um, learning foot stroke all over again, that was really really tough. I've been doing some endurance events events for quite quite some time, just occupationally, um, but putting the kit on, carrying things that that is pretty difficult, and finding a way to 
if it's not physically hard, it's boring <laughs> as well. Yeah. And that becomes, and I am very interested in uh, hearing a little bit more about Tough, the book coming out, about what, you know, how that has just the mental strategies you have when you're trying to get through um, the last thing that you want to do that where you're in pain, where you're not terribly mentally aroused, like what makes you get through those? So for me, it's been a really big lesson in uh, commitments to myself and making sure that I'm getting through the training that I absolutely daggum hate in order to get somewhere, somewhere better. Um, and that I'm embarrassed to say that that was, that that was tough for me. Well, I, that's nothing embarrassing. I mean, that is the hardest thing is the the mental fortitude and the commitment to do those things that you absolutely cannot stand. And, you know, every second of them makes you question, like, do I really need to be doing this? Like, do I really need to be running right now? You know, I could probably just get on the bike. That would be good enough or or I'm, I'm in shape enough. I can just go, you know, do some more snatches instead. I'll be fine. And of course, that's never true. But sometimes it's really, really enticing. It, it really. And, you know, there's been and I'm sure it's the same way with weight, with your weightlifting, with with anything that all of us have ever done is that there were times in strong band that I was like, God, I hate this, but it's over in one second. It's over in 15 seconds at most. It's yeah. done over and I'm sitting down. But it sucks to be six miles from your house and go. Yeah. Are you kidding me? And and to know that you have a pact with someone at your house that did not come pick you up like that shit sucks. And that's a tough one. At least in Strongman, I was like, it's over soon. It's going to be done. The good thing about being six miles away from your house and having no other options on returning, though, is that you don't have to be committed because you don't have any other options. <laughs> right. Well, you could Uber, but no one's picking you up in your kit. It, no, they're driving right I, by you. I would. When we were uh, when we were living in San Francisco, that area, they were uh, particularly adverse. They were like, absolutely not. No way are we picking those two up. Like that's not going to happen. There was a guy, a CrossFit guy in San Jose, who got picked up by the cops because he decided it would be a good idea to put on a plate carrier and a gas mask for his run but combine it with his errand to take some stuff to the post office. So he ran to the post office carrying a box with a plate carrier and a gas mask. And shockingly enough, people were a little nervous about it. It's so sketchy. I'm like, nervous just about take one be. second and think about how that appears, guy. <laughs> Come on. You know, something else that I hadn't considered that was pretty, that has been very difficult for me is fine motor skills under fatigue like yeah like you get to puffing a little bit and your chest gets to heaving and now they're saying in here 15 meters from you as a target let's hit it i'm already a little bit of a bad shot like i'm already behind the curve on everyone else that's into this um and it, it that is actually pretty surprisingly tough for me as well it and it's not even, I mean, that is a huge part of it, right? You've got an elevated heart rate, so you're moving around. It's your grip is usually somewhat smoked. So you're having trouble even, you know, stabilizing a, you know, a rifle is usually okay, but stabilizing a pistol, um, you know, maintaining sight alignment. But then you, on top of that, you're usually next to three or four other shooters and you're listening to their shooting cadence 
you don't know whether or not they're shooting accurately. All you can hear is how fast they're shooting or, you know, their brass is hitting you in the fucking forehead. So you're like, oh, God, I got to go. And so, you know, you you end up rushing your shots. And again, you don't know if they're accurate or not, but you you feel that additional pressure to speed up your own shooting, which then, of course, threatens your accuracy. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. So having not only, you know, the physical ability um, and kind of that the the skill component, but having the focus and the discipline to shoot your own game versus like letting the, the the surroundings kind of dictate your your speed and your strategy. Yeah, Annie. It's, so it totally. sounds like Annie. It sounds like your biggest carryover, your easiest transition was the strongman stuff, right? Um. Yeah, and here's why. I I think that grip strength is huge. They don't. I haven't seen. A 400 pound carry, right? Like, I haven't seen that on the girls' side. Um, uh, you won't, thankfully. I'm ready. I'm ready if it happens, but I'm pretty sure they're not going to be like, let's give this one away. Um, no. But the grip strength is really, really good. And having that, that, uh, that kind of the tactical side of it, and by tactical, I mean hand motor skills, being able to mindlessly overgrip things, being able to mindlessly take short choppy steps. The motor memory from that is really something that has carried over really, really well. Yeah. And that the grip thing is a big one. Uh, I mean, coming from weightlifting grip is obviously a part of it, but we're able to hook grip everything, which helps, you know, you, you, depending on the apparatus, you might, or might not be able to hook grip farmers implements like you there's definitely a lot more grip stamina in strongman um and that's been something i've had to work a lot on um you know i can climb a rope you know legless in kit i can do really heavy farmers carries i can do really heavy deadlifts with no straps no no hook grip but when you start adding you know, multiple grip things, you know, back to back to back for 15 minutes um, and, you know, extended periods of time gripping. It's a whole different situation. You know, we had North Carolina uh, a few weeks ago. There was an event where I think it was I don't even know how many hundreds of yards total of farmers carries it was. And, and the first maybe 60 yards, you had to grip the axle of the farmer bar versus the handle, which is infinitely more difficult, not only because it's thicker, but primarily because it's hard to balance, right? You know, with the handle, the weight sits below the grip, which means it's stable, whereas you're holding that axle and that whole bar wants to move. So, I mean, that just crushes people and it, it crushes me just not as much as it used to. It crushes me and we did axles a lot. But what I do think that is also a huge benefit is I do you do see a lot of competitors that are heavy on the shooting side and maybe they do have like a background in law enforcement, a background in military. They have some fitness background as well. They're fit, they're fit people for sure. Yeah. Um, but they don't have a familiarity with um, living in their body under stress, under yeah. the under intentional exercise stress. They've certainly been stressed. Um, don't don't misread me on that one. But um, I know how to get my heart rate down. I've seen that be a, a really big pickle for people. I know how to. Uh, I know about how much time it's going to take me to regain fine motor skills if my heart rate gets too high. I, I have about a roundabout, and that's been really helpful. 
there have some there are some some things that are coming to my aid in the in this just in the uh offside of me not being a good shot <laughs> getting better. So, greg greg what do you think your what do you think your easiest transition or easiest part of the tactical training was given your background oh it's just anything strength related okay I mean, that's the obvious one is when they when they put the big sandbag out or the heavier farmers walks i'm like okay you know, I can I can probably pick up some time here. Like, you know, for example, in uh, sorry, they're all running together. Utah, uh, which is the second to last one I did. There was an event where there was maybe a one mile run, some shooting, and it was like a 12 mile or excuse me, 12 minute cap. So once you were done with the run and the shooting, you had that whatever time remaining to pick up a 150 pound sandbag, carry it 20 yards, put it down, pick it up again, carry it across the line. And basically however many of those you could do in third or you got a 30 second bonus for each one. And so I was like, all right, I need to haul ass through this shooting um, and then get on that bag. And, you know, I think I did a 12 of those and there were other guys in elite that did like one or two. And so stuff like that is where I'm able to create some distance. But then they all catch me with the shooting eventually anyway. So it's really I'm just killing myself for no good reason. <laughs> Isn't that just competitive barbell sport as a whole? Just killing yourself for no reason. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> right. So, and because I've seen kind of a big boom in popularity of tactical game style events and just the tactical side of thing has kind of blown up in popularity, I would compare it similar to kind of like the upswing in popularity of like Strongman or even something like Highlands Games, where I had never heard of Highlands Games two years ago. Now you've got huge groups of individuals talking about that as well. Let's actually get into some of the coaching strategies here. So, Greg, you specifically, how do you integrate your weightlifting training into um, your tactical games, either at the micro level, at the meso level or, or both? <laughs> Uh, I mean, honestly, I, I've kept it essentially the same as I program for anything, which is I consider the weightlifting to be essentially the skeleton of the program, right? That's that's the backbone. Everything else is kind of worked around that. It doesn't mean that is the primary thing in terms of volume or even frequency. It just means that that is kind of dictating where everything else falls, right? Um, so, you know, for me, I'm now hurtling towards 41 years of age, which is just really awful to admit, but, um, we don't believe it, Greg. We don't believe it. I know. I don't look a day over 40. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so I've had to overall just cut way down on the volume I've been doing and the, the running in particular has just absolutely crushed my legs in terms of my top end strength. Um, and I, you know, I've had a few injuries to boot that haven't helped, you know, groin strains and, and knee issues and stuff like that, that have kind of really knocked me off track in terms of the weightlifting side of things. Um, but that aside, I've had to cut way back. So essentially I've got, you know, one day where I will do some kind of snatch variation, you know, for a, a, a meso cycle, I'll change that every meso, uh, sometimes a, a pulling variation and then a squat. So could be back squat, pause, back squat, you know, partials, front squat, whatever. And then a second day I will do, um, usually some kind of, 
uh, jerk related exercise, usually a push press and then other, you know, pressing accessory stuff. And then a third day, which is going to be clean, clean and jerk, uh, you know, a clean pole deadlift sort of thing. Uh, and that structure has kind of allowed me to keep what I need to, to maintain that strength as I slowly crawl toward my grave. Um, and while balancing, um, you know, all the additional stuff that I didn't have to do prior, you know, I didn't have to spend all this time running, uh, every week and riding that stupid assault bike and, you know, throwing sandbags around and climbing ropes and just running around my property, like a lab monkey that got out. Yeah. <laughs> how, um, how actually have you handled Because what was the heaviest weight class you competed at when you were a weightlifter? You were a one Oh two. Uh, one Oh five. Yeah. Okay. One o- okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. One Oh five. Uh, have you, what has your weight done since you've made the transition over? Uh, I'm, I'm walking around between 95 and 96 kilos these okay. days. So that's kind of what I figured. I don't, what is that? Like two fifteen ish? I think. Ish. So we'll call it that. yeah, I, I don't know. I can't convert that direction, but, um, the, I mean, I'm definitely on the larger, heavier side uh, for that competition. Although, you know, one of my buddies there who competes Zach is, you know, a few inches taller than me and definitely outweighs me by, you know, 15 pounds or so. And he can outrun me too. Uh, you know, he hasn't, he, he's got that strong man background, but he's also in law enforcement. So he, he's had that training background where he's maintaining that ability to run. Um, and so it definitely can be done at that bigger body weight. But, you know, to be honest, I, I think that sweet spot's probably like that 190 to 200 pound range. Um, if you really want to be able to, to perfectly balance everything, but I'm not going to get below 200 pounds again. <laughs> Have you changed anything up nutritionally or like recovery wise to accommodate the new training demands? Um, and, you know, fortunately it's, it's been pretty similar. You know, I, I already was having to eat a lot, um, because my natural body weight is not this high. And so, you know, being, you know, 231 is 105. And so I would walk around at, you know, between 233 and 235, ideally, uh, you know, outside of competition. And so it took a lot of work for me to maintain that weight. Um, so really when I transitioned over to this kind of stuff, even at a lighter body weight, I, you know, I'm eating a little bit less, but I still have a pretty high carb intake and really high protein intake. Uh, so it didn't change a whole lot. Um, and to be honest, like at least me personally, I don't see a lot of, performance or recovery variation when that nutrition varies, uh, which is not the case for a lot of people I work with. So I think I'm just a weirdo, like stuff just doesn't work for me. Like you can give me any number of medications and they'll work for a day. And then I just stop working. Like I just, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but scary, uh, scary thing. It's super weird. Like you can give me Ambien and I'll be like, all right, let's go rage. What are we doing next? It doesn't like, this doesn't do anything. Um, I could be sleepwalking and I just don't know it. I don't know. Right. Greg is the least I'm totally conscious person sleep. to party with. Yeah. They <laughs> might murder you work in your once, sleep. Takes him the second time. He's like, what the fuck? I don't feel anything. Yeah. Do we need to do more? Do we need to crush it up and snort it? Is this not working? Um, and the, the recovery stuff is luckily I, I have access 
you know, to hot tub, cold plunge, sauna, you know, Norma tech, you know, all that stuff. And I use it all regularly. And that's the, the contrast for me is probably the, the biggest help. Um, and I'll try to sauna at least once a week, but I just don't enjoy it. So sometimes that doesn't happen. Yeah. All right, Annie, you knew I was coming for you. Same question. How do you integrate your training? So I believe you're still on track for some physique based goals, still some kind of strength, strength, endurance style training in there. Um, how, how do you kind of manage all those demands? Um, well, one of them is managing my expectations on that for sure. And it comes to like what my body looks like. I'm kind of, I'm kind of at the spot where I'm like, well, if it looks like this forever, it looks like this forever. That that's just literally where I'm at with it. Um, I am in a really aerobic biased place because I suck aerobically and I've got enough time to build a pretty good aerobic base before anything pops off. So, but similarly, um, I'm, I've had some injuries and some ouchies. And so if you get under a 600 pound yoke and you weigh 150 pounds, you eventually just get shorter and you feel shitty for like years afterwards. So I'm weird. He is approaching. That math checks out. Yeah. (laughs) My body is approaching 40, five years old, perhaps. Um, and so I've got some injuries and some things I have to be very, very cognizant of. And something that's helped quite a bit is I'm on my bike a lot. Uh, and just developing an aerobic base, making sure I'm, I'm keeping the skill of running. So I run two or three times a week, um, but not a ton of mileage. I'm not putting a shit ton of miles on my feet, doing a lot of my long distance aerobic development stuff. That I'm just hoping has the right carryover. It has historically, but it, it, I will be honest, it's a prayer. It's a prayer. Um, and also, um, my husband's a large guy. He's a big guy too. And so kidding him, and he's also approaching 40 and he needs to stay off his feet a little bit. So, um, we're biking quite a bit. We're squatting. We're, uh, overhead pressing. He's, he's full on still doing cleans and snatches and things like that. Um, I'm just kind of overhead pressing. And then, um, so yeah, speaking of fine motor skills, do you see that? That, pen. <laughs> that was a mind game, Greg. That was a mind game that I threw in there. And then we are doing, um, squats, deadlifts, overhead pressing, not, not much, um, else other than that right now, looking for quality movements, making sure we still have those big movements. And then I have a little bit of a plan based on how much time we have and how we're progressing, but we'll go into strength endurance probably next. And we'll go into, um, event specific training. So more, more, um, farmer carries for him, probably, uh, more sled type stuff when we get a little bit closer. And that is one of those more fragile adaptations I've found. So we'll kind of work with that. And we're at the range a lot like at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. And he still shoots guns for a living. So we are at the range a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're genuinely doing some periodization then like you're, you're moving through phases as you get close to competition. Yeah. That's very much very genuine, but I've also, how long can I keep that up? If this is one of those things that every other month you compete, uh, yeah. And that's what's happened to me is this year I did just like back to back to back to back. So it's like, I never had, you know, I had, I had, I think a five week break and then a two week break. Right. And then, an, and then eight weeks now into this one. So I've just been hammered. 
Yeah, I think what's really tough about specifically that type of schedule is um, you can't get too specific because no. it's a, it's so different. The, the events are so different and they're broadly the same on like a molecular level, but there's a skill component that need that deserves some time no. or just a broad approach towards. Yeah, and you know the funny thing, uh, the the first one that I did you know, with this friend of mine who talked me into doing it, he had looked at some video from a, a previous one, and it was all these like short, quick events. And so we're like, oh yeah, this is perfect, you know. We you know that five to six minute domain, this is right up our alley. And then all of a sudden we get there and we're like, yeah, they changed it up a little bit. And so it, it's changed quite a bit, you know, which I think is good. Uh, you know, you, you want to have that variety, but like you said, you can't get too specific. It's like you, you have to be very familiar with the common implements and, you know, know your way around farmer's handles, you know, backwards, upside down, forward, whatever, overhead, you know, zercher, you know, sandbags, definitely, you know, rope climbing and sleds. So if you're, if you're very literate with those implements, you can usually figure the stuff out, you know, as long as you've built the, um, like you said, kind of the molecular level capacity at all those, the, the ranges, you have the strength, you have the strength endurance, you have the stamina and you have um, the, the straight up endurance. Easier said than done, of course. Right. As I said, you're struggling to run. <laughs> right. This is pretty new. Like, this is a... This is new to me. Like, this is a new thing for me to do, and I'm sure for most people that are doing it. Um, yeah. So I'm still in the game of... of um, doing what I think is going to be right. And I'm totally down to be wrong. Well, I'm sure I'll tell you this didn't come out. I'm sure, and I'm sure there will be many, many moments like that where I, what I decided to do, what I thought was right was not the right call. Well, you, you can't be a hundred percent right. And you can't speaking of managing expectations, you know, you, you can't predict exactly what's going to happen. My biggest problem is that I'm not quite willing to commit my training 100% to tactical games. Yep. You know, I'm maybe at 80%, but I'm still putting a lot more emphasis on the weightlifting side of things than I would if I were 100% committed to tactical games. One, because I like doing it, but two, because that's my livelihood, you know, is, is being totally engaged in the weightlifting world um, as a coach. And for me, like a big part of that is, is keeping um, that very personal connection to the training, you know? And so if I'm not able to do that, if I'm not able to still lift well enough and maintain my positions and those movements enough to do like demos for people, then I'm in trouble. So I would, pr I would probably do things a little differently if I didn't have to do that, but, uh, I close enough, you know, that's the beauty of it is you can stay true to the things that are organic to you. Yeah. Which is great. Greg, it sounded like you were a little bit surprised when you heard that Annie was using somewhat of like a periodized approach to her kind of tactical game style training. So a question that I had for you is the circles that you run with, the individuals that you compete alongside of, that you talk with, what are some of the big errors that they're making in their own programming, their own training for these specific events? Um well, to backtrack a second, I wasn't surprised so much as I was kind of envious, like to have enough time ah. 
to actually periodize. I, I would love to do that. And, and maybe next year I'll, I'll slow the pace down a little bit um, and be able to get back to that. But uh, I would say the number one biggest mistake that people doing tactical games make, but also just in general, is not uh, not regularly, not having deload periods regularly enough. And it, it's kind of this thing where it's it's like, well, I can keep going, so I should keep going. It's like, well, I can do a lot of things, but they're a really bad idea. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I can go buy, uh, you know, two grams of Coke and a few hookers, but I'm not going to because it's a bad idea. So in the same way, you can keep pushing your training forever. Eventually, you're going to start breaking down. You know, you're going to end up with stress fractures. You're going to end up with all kinds of strains. You're going to end up, you know, not sleeping well, you know, GI distress, you know, your joints are going to be killing you. And so it's like, there's a difference between being tough and committed and just being dumb. And so, yeah, you got to kind of flirt with that line sometimes, but you also have to be intelligent enough to know like, Hey, you know, I'm not actually invincible. I'm not a 19 year old who's like eating babies, pituitary glands every day. And I'm just, I can do whatever I want forever. And so once you kind of get past maybe the, that weird sense of shame that a lot of people with athletic backgrounds have about not training at hundred percent every single day forever. Um, Cause you feel like you're not doing enough. Once you kind of get past that and realize like, no, this is actually the intelligent approach um, that will ultimately allow me to make more progress and, and hit a greater ultimate level of performance. I think that ends up creating um some pretty dramatic improvements in people's training once they figure out the schedule that works best for them. So it's not necessary. It's not periodization in the traditional sense where we're not running, you know, 12, 16, 22 week cycles, but we're maybe working in, you know, four week blocks where we're backing off every fourth week or, you know, whatever is, is appropriate for the individual. And that can change mezzo to mezzo too. Andy, I'm glad you brought up managing expectations. That was somewhat fortuitous of kind of like the overarching of our uh, entire conversation here. But Greg, it's really refreshing to hear you say that because I've been preaching for years that baby's pituitary glands are the key here. That is that's that's the key. It's and now, access is the limiter, right? Thank you. People are now, very not only peculiar about that. Does it have the gifted of performance stamp of approval? But you can throw a catalyst athletics performance or a catalyst athletics stamp of approval. Wasn't on. there? A, there was a whole South Park episode about that, right? Where <laughs> I'm sure there was. Hartman was reproducing uh, Shakey's Pizza's locations by uh, harvesting stem cells or something like yep. that. Now it's the same. It's the same essential uh, structure, but a little different. Same pathway. Same yeah. pathway. All right, Annie. How about you? Uh, mistakes that you're seeing other either coaches or athletes making that really make you scratch your head or make you want to slam your head into a wall or something. Oh, um, uh, pushing through pain in a way that they don't have to. I think that's huge. I think people like to put rucks on and go until their legs fall off. And that's not a smarter, healthier, helpful approach in whatso whatsoever. Um, training these capacities that are pretty specific in ways that are totally non-specific and not applicable. Um, well, I know there's not going to be a bike at this thing, so just ignore that I said all this, but I, <laughs> I do see a lot of people doing um, 
they're running and their aerobic development work in this kind of worthless middle round that doesn't make them faster and it doesn't give them endurance benefits and it has a high recovery cost and it makes the rest of their lifting shitty. I think that's probably the overarching goal of what I see people doing poorly in, in tactical performance coaching, but it's a new, it's a new developing field, I would say in a, in a weird way, even though it's clearly been a field of, uh, of occupational athletes forever. This, this whole idea is pretty fresh and pretty new. So, um, I guess I'm, I'm, this answer will probably also change in a year as I see more people taking a stab at their own efforts towards it. And probably myself, I'll say like, Oh yeah, I really fucked that up back there. But yeah. Well, I think the interesting thing is like you said, it, this sort of thing generally has been around so long in mm-hmm. the military but you can prepare very specifically for the various schools and and you know a selection sure. yep. uh you know exactly what's going to happen right mm-hmm. you, you know you're going to have to run x number of miles in y time you know you're going to have to ruck whatever you know you're going to have to swim you know you're going to have to do this many push-ups and pull-ups and so you can you can structure your training entirely specifically to that and the, the problem though is that that doesn't translate well enough to something like the tactical games Mm-hmm. which, you know, throws in a, a whole array of different implements and um, and situations that you're not prepared for by doing a bunch of push-ups. So, you know, push-ups are cool. Like, I do them sometimes because I don't want to have the chest of, like, a, you know, 13-year-old child. But um, it's not like that's super specific. There's not a tactical games where they're like, all right, you know, drop and give me 6,000. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, if you're an intermediate or something, you can't climb a rope, you can do 15 burpees, <laughs> you know, or whatever, you know, whatever it is, that's about the, you know, the most that's going to help. Right. You know, what's interesting is, um, even with those selections that you can prep for the various military selections, they do really weird job preparing you for the actual constraints of perhaps battle. And I, a very yes. funny, a very funny conversation that I hear a lot is, um, you know, believe it or not, when I was, when I was in the sandbox and I had my, my buddy who was hurt over my shoulder and I finally got to the embassy, nobody said I need 45 pushups in two minutes with your yeah. like <laughs> Shocker. Nobody said that. And I love that. That whole reality is like, yeah, and even these selection processes are just general fitness, just a well, bit above. Yeah, and I think and this is me speaking as a guy with no military background, so take it with a grain of salt. But you know, I, I would say that ninety-five percent of those things is more about testing people's fortitude and their commitment versus actually preparing them physically for the requirements of the the job, right? It's more like, can we destroy you for this number of weeks and, you know, put you in a place where quitting is like the, the, the most wonderful idea you can possibly think of at that time. And then you're willing to keep doing this and like, you know, beating yourself to death because you're so committed to the process and the end goal versus we're going to use this to prepare you for what's coming. Like that comes after the selection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's, that's kind of the confusing thing for a lot of people who either haven't gone through those selections or might be, you know, looking at them in the future is, is they conflate those two things. And so they think, Oh, this is how, you know, I want to train like a, like an operator. So I'm going to go do my, 
you know, my flutter kicks, my pushups and my, you know, 400 mile run every day. It's like, well, I mean, that might get you through selection, but it's, you know, once you're done, you, you probably got to rearrange your, your, your process a little bit. Absolutely. Those, those mental aspects are huge. And I think that offers a pretty good segue because I'm dying to hear about the, the book you've got coming out. So Greg is, it's all done. Completely edited, finished. Yeah, it's it's been done since June, and it's been uh, we don't even we don't have enough hours in, in the world left to talk about the the uh, soup sandwich that was the publishing deal. Um, but in any case, yeah, it's been done for a while, and it's going to be out February sixteenth, thankfully. So what was what was the inception story? What kind of gave you the motivation to write that? Just give us like a a, a brief synopsis of, of what the, uh, what people are going to find in the book. I mean, the original idea, I have notes dating back to 2011 on it. So it's it's been in my head for a long time. And the problem was that I was never quite sure what it was supposed to be. And so when I finally figured it out, then I was able to bang it out pretty quickly. But um, it's I think the 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 origin is really this idea that the kind of the definition of, of toughness, I think, has been misunderstood and misrepresented and, um, you know, to the detriment of so many people. And, and there's a lot of confusion around it where we have, you know, some people think it's, it's all about, you know, physical capabilities. Some people equate toughness with masculinity specifically, or they equate toughness with, um, with, with violence or a, a lack of emotion, like all these weird characteristics that don't really have anything to do with being tough per se, but they've been associated in, in various ways through media and storytelling or, or just people's insane imaginations, whatever the case may be. Um, and so that, that was kind of part one is not literally part one in, in the book structure, but part one of the book is kind of explaining what I believe toughness to actually be and what the characteristics are, you know, physically, mentally, and, and emotionally. And really what it came down to was, um, four things that all conveniently start with the letter C and this was not intentional, but it just happened to be super cool. So you have characters part one, right? So who are you? Do you really truly know who you are? And the, the corollary to that is, are you secure in that identity? Right. If you don't know who you are, if you don't truly know what your values are and you're not secure in those things, you are constantly searching for validation and approval and all these things which prevent you from ever actually doing anything worthwhile. Right. You, you're the, the person on Instagram who's, you know, somehow got the camera up the butt, even though there's a 5000 square foot empty gym on the other side of you. You get what I'm saying. Um uh, and then, you know, part two is capability, which is, you know, essentially we need a a very broad, wide ranging and ever growing collection of abilities, right? These skills, knowledge, um, you know, literal physical capabilities, you know, fitness wise, things like that. Um, the next one is capacity, which I basically define as what can you withstand, right? So this is this is your ability to get through hardship, adversity, challenges, and that's primarily um, the mental strategies. But it's also dependent on capability to a large extent, right? Is you know if you fall out of an airplane in the middle of the you know desolated wilderness area, maybe you have the will to survive, but if you don't have any skills 
it's not going to get you very far, right? You don't have the the physical ability to get through that. You know, you're you're not going to make it. Um, and then the final one is commitment, which kind of encompasses the the whole discipline and routine and and habit. Uh, building side of things. And and that's essentially, maybe you have these first three things in order, but without that commitment element, you will never actually put them to use when it matters, right? So do you, you, maybe you have these capabilities, but if you're not willing, you don't have the commitment to, um, you know, create structure in your life that allows you to continually train, practice, improve, learn, you know, all these different things. And it's, it's essentially meaningless ultimately. So, um, that's, that's the long short version. Uh, and so the, the book is, is basically both looking at those things from the philosophical side, uh, you know, what, what does this mean? Why is it important? And then from the practical side, okay, how do we actually, um, how do we develop these these traits in ourselves um, and how do we continue moving down this road indefinitely, right? Like it's not a weekend project like cleaning out the attic. It's this thing that, you know, we are doing every single moment of our lives and becoming cognizant of our behavior and, and you know, everything from the way that we react to other people to the way that we talk to ourselves during, the, you know, the midst of adversity, all these different things. So it's all in there. It's the perfect book. It's the last book you'll ever need to read. You heard it here first. Well, That's... genuinely for me, Greg, I, I mean, I've appreciated almost all the content you've put out. So I will absolutely be a customer. And I'm sure I'm sure Annie will be as well. Um, just let everyone know where they can find it, where they can pre-order it. It should be at the time this recording goes live. It will be available for pre-order or actual sale. So wh- where can they actually find that? So uh, becomingtough.com will be the website and that will give you links to all the availability. So it'll, the, this initial release will be hardcover ebook and audiobook. Um, so, you know, all the, all the standard places, Amazon, BNN.com, um, uh, you know, iBooks, basically wherever, whatever place you like getting books from, you should be able to get it from. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually very grateful that you didn't name the book hard because becoming hard will take you to a very, very different part of the internet. Yeah, that would uh, would have opened us up for a bit of confusion and a <laughs> lot of explaining. But the octogenarian population may have visited your page quite a bit. It, yeah, it, it would 100% have increased web traffic. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Productive and from what I've told traffic. on Instagram, yeah. that's the most important thing. It's not good audience targeting, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, the, the numbers would have been astounding. Phenomenal. Um, Greg, is there anything you wanted to circle back to? Anything you wanted to revisit on our conversation? No, I think we covered it. I mean... I, I'm so I'm so brain dead at this point, man. I'm, I'm tired. I'm beat up. So if, if unless you tell me I missed something, I feel like we got it all. It sounds like you're ready to compete. If you're that mentally dead, it sounds like you are ready to compete. Oh, Annie, anything on your end? Life well, is good, man. Uh, Greg, I, I really appreciate you coming on and talking. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, if you guys didn't know, Greg, let everyone know where they can find you. The Instagram, the Facebook, the, the YouTube, all that. Uh Catalyst Athletics on Instagram. That's kind of the the hub. And then CatalystAthletics.com, of course, is, uh, you know, articles, videos, everything you can think of that I do is can all be found from there. So that's the place to go. I'm not super active on Facebook. Can I plug your uh, Instagram Becoming Tough at Becoming Tough? Of course you can. 
I'll, I'll plug it. It's good. It's got good, <laughs> digestible. Consider it plugs. Greg, and I have to say, I thank you for everything. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for making informative YouTube videos about weightlifting that are like 90 to 120 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that because there's definitely a, a split of opinion on that. There's either the, the the crowd who's like, oh, thank God you didn't spend 45 minutes explaining something that can be explained in one minute. And then the other crowd's like, Ooh, it's only 60 seconds. I already watched five seconds of commercials. It's like, okay, sorry. Like, you want your money back? <laughs> All right. Well, we can all agree. Fuck those people. All right. Well, as always, you can find me at the underscore squad father at gift performance on Instagram. Go ahead, drop like, comment, subscribe, all that YouTube stuff that YouTube people say. We will catch you on the next one. And as always, guys, stay gifted. See ya. Thanks, guys.